I think for, for most businesses, if you were going to keep it really simple, is just have a clear view of your single customer view, you know, um, understand how you're actually profiling across all of your sub brands or your products. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultants. And welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, the marketing industry is well known for its TLAs. That's three-letter acronyms such as RTB, CPM, B2B, SEO and more. But there is a class of TLA, the two-letter acronyms, that has increasingly populated the marketing vernacular, like UX, UI, and CX. Now, McKinsey says CX encapsulates everything a business or an organization does to put customers first, managing their journey and servicing their needs. But my guest today is gonna take a binary approach to unpicking the world of customer and user experience. Please welcome to Managing Marketing, the CEO of the Full Service Customer Experience Agency, CX Lavender, Adam Washington. Welcome, Adam. G'day, Darren. It's great to be with you. Look, uh, it is uh, really confusing because I found a lot of people seem to use UX, CX, and even throw in UI as if they're interchangeable. You know, it, can you give me a, a sort of shorthand way of being able to differentiate the, two, the three? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think maybe that's also happened because they've all been kind of zeitgeisty in the industry at various different times and people have tried to jump on those bandwagons. But you're right that they, they can be a bit um, interchangeably used, but they're very distinct. Um, I mean, customer experience really is the whole experience of engaging with a product or a brand right the way through. Um, offline, online can even touch, you know, parts of pricing strategy all the way through to product design. User experience is, generally speaking, the front end of the digital experience, the mobile app or the website, and user interface design is the creative end of that skin. What does it actually look like as you're using it? So if I was going to give you a a simple example from a piece of work that I've done with Hoyts um, in a previous world, our customer experience work with Hoyts was really working out what the cinema um, consideration process was like all the way through to ticketing online, when you go through the candy bar, what your check-in process is like, how you feel sitting in the seats, where the rubbish bins are, what the toilets are like on the way out, all the way through. Um, Really, that's the whole customer experience piece. But the user experience piece is really what does the app look like and what does the website look like as you're using it? And the user interface design is is obviously the the beautiful skin on top. So I could give you probably 15 more two-letter acronyms to go along with those three, but um, maybe that's um, that's a good kind of demystification of it for the folks uh, listening in. So CX is much more uh, holistic, isn't it? Like, as you said, it's from every interaction that people yeah. have yeah. with a company or organisation. And yet it's interesting because from personal experience, I find service industries are often the worst at actually providing user experience or customer experience. Yeah, from from an agency point of view. No, no, from a personal point of view. I, th- right. I think I think you know one of the problems is that uh, services industries or service based organisations yeah. possibly have so many touch points 
that can possibly go wrong compared to you know a product because basically the manufacturer makes the product hands it to some usually some intermediary unless they're selling it through their own website but there's usually a retailer and then you know it goes from there well i think part part of that challenge is, is often just that the concept of CX isn't generally centralised in client team structures, um, or, or often it's not anyway. Perhaps increasingly it will be, but um, is it the responsibility of marketing or the product team or the customer service team? And um, so often going through that process in, in the research phase, um, it's as much about trying to wrangle that stakeholder environment and provide some cohesion in terms of its um, reporting and measurement and accountability as it is about actually coming up with these great ideas that solve unmet needs um, or that make experiences better. And um, I think that it goes a lot to the way that um, CX is measured inside of client organisations too. Um, that evolution in the way that we look at kind of not just um, not just our marketing metrics or our kind of revenue metrics, but we're actually really measuring customer sentiment um, and satisfaction. Uh, that journey is probably changing the way that customer experience is deployed too. Well, because I was going to say, you know, CX, when I first came across the term, was definitely more of the consulting world, you know. The consulting world were talking particularly around product distribution. You know, all the P's of marketing, they're actually, in this day and age, not part of marketing anymore because marketing in a lot of organisations just ends up with promotion, don't they? Yeah. But it has evolved. Yeah, d- definitely. And I think the the um, the reality is that not many agencies and probably not many consultancies are equipped to execute all the way through. Um, we're certainly not. You know, we're, we're not a shopper agency. Um, we don't um, we don't do really detailed offline product um, or you know venturing and modelling. Um, that's that kind of stuff tends to be the remit of specialist providers. But the people who um, start the upfront part of that customer experience journey in really, really deep research and analysis and understanding. Um, that is us and it's many other contemporaries in, um, in, in the agency and consulting worlds. Um, it's just then making sure we've got the right partners around us to go execute in those more specific channels where we execute heavily in creative and digital. Um, many other kind of contemporary agencies talking about CX would execute uh, in, in comms channels, um, consulting sort of sometimes goes all the way through. Or, or partners with product specialists. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely uh, a changing space, and I think lots of people are running to the middle of this space because ultimately it's where accountability is. You know, if you can prove um, great uh, great growth, great increased revenue through great customer satisfaction, um, a lot of the money's moving here as opposed to just straight media investments. So. Yeah, uh, do you think it's uh, technology and the way consumers now consume? With so much of it being, done, you know, either research or, or you know, uh, consideration being done online, that has moved a lot more of this uh, CX work into the the realm of the communications part. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps also just that the visibility of poor customer experience is so quickly um, socialised too. That didn't used to be the case, you know. Um, word of mouth still matters um, in in both the positive and the negative context. I mean, I think if you, you know, if you think about the kinds of experiences that you've had that are negative or a bit irritating, you know, being kind of spammed with overly aggressive, irrelevant retargeting or um, needing to get to a piece of content where you're artificially clicking through too many stages for more AdWords impressions to get to that content, irrelevant upsell messages, 
you know, all of that stuff um, is often kind of grounded in briefs that are starting with metrics like, well, you know, increase the average revenue per user, look at the daily active user count, all the vanity metrics around kind of likes and shares and comments and follows and stuff. And I, I suppose um, it's, it's partly moving into our world more and certainly we see an opportunity to um, be more effective addressing it for clients by really starting with value creation, not the value extraction piece. And, and agencies have historically been pretty good at value creation. Um, you know, we, that's real um, unmet or latent needs, um, addressing that utility, being more genuinely helpful, creating real entertainment, um, you know, making education that's really valuable in those experiences, not starting with those, those more vanity-led metrics. Um, I think that's a lot of what's shifting some of the emphasis into our world. Um, we um, we recently uh, repositioned um, CX Lavender last year on our 25th birthday, and as part of that process, we talked about putting people first being the key to growing business um, fundamentally. So we make stuff for people, um, and I think that's something that's um, really simple to say. But if if you're in a, um, a non-agency context, it might be more difficult to um, to kind of live up to. So. Look, I think that's really interesting because one of the keys to great uh, customer experience is actually being able to to respond and and be in the customer's uh, uh, shoes, you know, and and see the way the experience occurs for them. And that also requires a significant amount of empathy because I think when you're working within an organisation, it's very easy to fall into the trap of being factory out. Yeah. But an actual design of the customer experience, you have to constantly be able to have that empathy and that that insight yeah. to put yourself outside and look in. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's one of the reasons that you know research um, is is such a huge part of some of the pivot that we're making in the agency today um, to really embrace you know beyond kind of qual and quant, but really embrace great um, you know ethnography and the way that we're approaching research. And to not just have it be siloed in a research part of our strategy team, but to have it be really ingrained through training and all the business management. Um, it's, um, you know, we, I mean, materially, we are a kind of customer-focused strategy, creative and technology agencies. So, you know, we make great communications, we make great ads, um, we make great platforms and apps and websites. But all of that has to start with the best research um, that we can possibly master around this stuff because the wrong, uh, my, my sort of laboured analogy the team will know too well is that uh, you can have the best driver in the world, but if you put the wrong address in Google Maps, you'll end up in the wrong place. And <laughs> for us, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's just making real sure we've got the right address in Google Maps at the start of those projects. So. Trinity P3. Often related to, to CX, to customer experience, and that is this idea of data analytics and personalization. And, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk and a lot of people saying, you know, personalization was the future, but then very, you know, very few organizations have either had the data to do it well, or they've had some massive fails, to your point, putting the wrong address into Google Maps and coming up with the wrong location or the wrong person or treating the customer in some ways, making assumptions about them without permission Yep. to make those assumptions about them is, yep. is, is one way of putting it. Do you see some, with AI, and I know it's the hot topic, but do you think AI is going to help this and help us be less clumsy about being able to use data to create a more, 
if not personalized, more customized experience for, for the individuals? Yeah, it's it's so it's really interesting because I, I think I'd put it in two buckets. I'd I would classify one half of the kind of opportunity space we play in as um, as the stuff you're talking about. So getting better at personalization, uh, better at relevance, better at kind of behavioral modeling and predictive uh, content that we might be serving people. But there's a whole category of what we do um, that's addressing latent or unmet needs and identifying those and addressing them. Uh, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't use a more cliched example, but, you know, Henry Ford, if I asked my customers what they wanted. and it, faster, perha- horses. faster horses. And perhaps we will get to a place where, um, you know, GPT-4, which Microsoft's about to unveil next week, will be so extraordinary at synthesizing all the information on the internet that it can predict latent needs. Um, you know, we might just get to a point where, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pure fortune teller, who knows. But I think at the moment today, um, yes, a huge role that AI can continue playing in terms of content personalization, marketing automation, increased relevance, um, you know, playing on the margins of that stuff. But those moonshot opportunities that you get out of really great customer experience, research and understanding. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you, you talked about empathy, because it really is about great EQ um, being able to synthesize all that you hear, but then also contextualize it. At the moment, those those unmet needs, um, those bigger opportunities that can really be massive revenue drivers for clients, I think that's still something that um, agencies have a pretty manual role to play. Mm. The other um, the other issue is consistency, because you know you you see organisations do a big move into you know focusing on customer experience, only to you know drop the ball. You know, consistently drop the ball because it's not actually integrated into the organisation. It yeah. does have to become a sort of culture, doesn't it? And it needs to be woven into, to use the fabric, I guess, of the organisation in everything you do. Yeah, from from absolutely from two points from from a KPI and reporting point of view, and from a technology and operational point of view. Um, I mean, from from a KPI point of view, I've sat in quite a few meetings recently um, talking about how we unify um, CX measurement reporting across organisations with wildly different um, stakeholder objectives um, and, you know, even kind of bonus KPI structures according to different departments. Um, No alignment on, you know, customer satisfaction or customer effort score or NPS being consistent metrics that we're measuring. And and it is a really, you know, if you really get customer experience uh, work right it should be truly cross-functional you know it's it's pretty tough to have it be owned by a department and so the alignment of those um, KPIs is, is really pretty critical um, but over and above that then you've got the opera or the, uh, the the Martech stack which is actually going to go run this thing and um, increasingly our Martech stacks are just very complicated and very expensive and um, the legacy of people who've been in organizations previously and have left and people feel variously disgruntled about what's there still um, so, you know, making sure that when you're thinking about what it takes to actually go and support this stuff, it's not so complex, it's not too clever by half, that it's so, so much so that it's unsustainable, you know. Um, and I guess that's where we help play a pretty big role too is, is unpicking that and making the complex simple and, and hopefully sustainable um, on, the, on the tech and on the measurement side of it. So. So it was once explained to me, and and I can't remember the conversation exactly, but that you know the first step in customer experience or great customer service, I think they actually called it, was actually getting the culture right, getting the people to people. To your point earlier, right? 
and that technology is not the thing that does that. It's actually the enabler that allows you to scale and be responsive. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, so many times you hear conversations, and I have to say particularly when we've been involved with consulting firms, where they're talking about the tech stack first yeah. before they've even got their head around, well, what's the cultural change for the organisation yeah. to be able to become a customer-centric uh, uh, business? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest kind of imperative um, I think for, for most businesses, if you were going to keep it really simple, is just have a clear view of your single customer view, you know, um, understand how you're actually profiling across all of your sub-brands or your products um, so that that's a, a view of someone that you can approach um, kind of consistently and recurrently. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're right that the, um, the technical debt that a lot of organisations carry, you know, and often not through any fault of their own, often it's, you know, as a result of acquisitions or mergers or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, legacy systems, yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that is generally some of the hardest stuff uh, to unpick. You know, I think if we took a brief from a, a startup who's just got a bunch of VC and they want to go and make the best thing in the world, um, it's a much easier brief a lot of the time because you're not having to, to unpick that technical debt. Trinity P3. I just thought of a three-letter acronym. It's not necessarily marketing, but it occurs in marketing. API, you know, the ability yep. for uh, platforms to just plug yep. to get plug and play. Yep. I don't think I've ever discovered or heard of an API that just ever plugged and played. <laughs> you know, they that, do always take a bit of custom work, don't they? <laughs> a bit. I know yeah. of an organisation that does nothing but map APIs so that they can plug and play. Yeah. And they <laughs> said it, it's almost impossible, yeah. but it never happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's an element of, of keep it simple, stupid, which is easy to say uh, for, for, uh, for, you know, smaller size clients, for you know, large organisations, it obviously gets more complicated. But um, yeah, we don't, we don't need to unnecessarily complicate um, the technology. And I think we've, we've all been variously guilty of that in the past. So, Adam, you're very good at uh, giving a, a, a sort of view of uh, UX, UI and CX. There's some other language around CX that I wouldn't mind getting you to help, you know, demystify in a way or, sure. or just give a perspective. And, and the first one is one of my favourites because at a point in time about three years ago, four years ago, every agency said they could do this, and that's customer journey mapping. <laughs> yeah. Now, what 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 is it, and well, why do they always look so neat? Because I know my <laughs> personal customer journey is like this. I'm all over the place. Yeah. So why do they look like you know, you do this, then you do this, then yeah. you do this, then you, and then you make the purchase, and <laughs> so it's it's often uh, trying to bring order to chaos, isn't it? Trying to trying yeah. to get uh, the current state mapped so we can understand where the opportunity is, but. You're right. Look, they're never, you know, I think it's a bit bit the same as if you go back to, uh, you know, audience profiling and segmentation years ago. You know, we all used to live and die by the persona. I mean, these things are never an exact science. But um, through through great research, I guess really the point is to be able to sometimes just quite visually um, identify where the gaps and opportunities are um, to improve customer experience or to innovate. Because a huge part of this is about innovation, right? And um, you know, if I if I took well that Hoyt's example, I'll go back to it for the sake of simplicity. Um, part of that work we did um, in a previous life was mapping the whole user journey across um, every step of going to the movies. 
And when you see it all laid out on a piece of paper the side of a, of a three sheet, the size of a three sheet, um, you, um, you can actually kind of start to see, oh, that bit's really empty and that bit is a bit, uh, a bit lax. Um, actually, there's a huge disconnect between step A and step B. And oftentimes in that whole process, there might be five or six different internal departments with different moments where they're handing the baton back and forth and they don't have that bird's eye view um, of that whole ecosystem. So sometimes it is just about visibility, but really it's about spotting those opportunities for improvement and, and innovation. Um, okay. And to then return to them as well once we've made those improvements and, and make sure that they're... Um, so it's not pretending to actually map it. It's more identifying the possible touch points or points of experience. Well, it should be it should be mapped as a as a result of great research, right? So if you if you've done um, enough kind of user interviews and a bit of ethno research, and if you've understood the customer journey well enough, it should be uh, a reflection of all you know. You know, generally grouped by audience types. So, yeah. Okay, voice of customer programs. Yeah. Is this all the complaints and and the, uh, <laughs> all the positive reviews or what? What is the voice of customer and how has it become a program? Well, it's, I guess it's just making sure the organisation has a consistent measure of, um, of, of how its, its customers are feeling. I mean, we, um, I think most, most, most of us running agencies would do this with our own clients, right? We'd have customer satisfaction service um, surveys, client sat surveys. Um, we'd run quarterly and we'd all feel a little bit alarmed if our clients start scoring us under an eight and, and run around and try and make sure those relationships are improved um, so they don't call you, Darren. Um, but um, uh, only to fix it. Only to, to fix it, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so really, I guess it's the same thing, right? It's just it's just making sure that it's scale in a client organisation um, that they're um, uh, that they're institutionalising that process, you know, um, which could be um, for some uh, for some clients really simple. Everyone just rallies around Net Promoter Score um, and just says how likely is someone to to recommend this business. Um, or this service to another. Um, there's various discussion about whether or not NPS is, is a bit of a blunt instrument because it isn't intrinsically reflecting your experience of a product. It's talking about how willing you are to go promote it to other people and they gives yeah. nuance in that motivation. They can be different, but other measures could be things like um, your customer effort score, how hard it is to get something done, um, your yeah. customer satisfaction score, those kind of things. So it's just making sure you've got a regular beat on that and you're tracking it over time. It, uh, for, again, from a personal experience, Adam, it's when uh, I buy something online and I've just finished the transaction. I haven't even got yeah. the product. And then they send me an NPS. Yeah. And I go, I don't care about that. I bought the product, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. They should yeah. um they should send it to you on your third or your fourth pro uh, purchase so that you're invested enough in the brand <laughs> to fill it out. Exactly. Trinity P3. Service design, you know, because yeah. we've heard, you know, there's human-centred design and there's um, design thinking. Service design, where's this fit in? Well, service design is is part of what we do. Um, I think you'd think of it less in terms of a marketing metric, more in terms of how you might go spin up a part of your client's business. So whether it's a new revenue model or an ancillary revenue model or um, an additional product, um, you know, it's we're basically trying to take the sum total of all that we've learned through all of our customer research and understanding um, overlaid with the opportunities either in a customer journey map uh, that exists today or by identifying unmet or latent needs that aren't being addressed at all and then saying, hey, how do we go make money out of that thing? 
Um, so often that might be led by the client or in some cases if we're lucky or we've got really deep relationships that kind of might move beyond our CMO, um, then we've got an opportunity to go talk about how we turn it into a product. And, um, you know, for us that's super exciting because, I, I mean, from a personal point of view, I grew up in, um, in digital agencies over the last 15-odd years, um, moved into uh, full-service creative businesses um, to, to close those gaps and because I always had a chip on my shoulder about being in the digital table um, waiting for the <laughs> waiting for the full service brief um, but you know we've all we've all had this problem trying to fight through uh, how do we get past just a marketing lens on the great work we're doing and it is one benefit of um, of great CX led agencies um, like CX lavender um, there's a few of us that we can move beyond that office and actually talk about change within a client organization that's broader than a marketing program and um, you know that's um, I think we were talking earlier Darren about consultancy you know that's something that um, consultancy does very easily um, because it often has those relationships beyond the CMO um, service design is, is really us um, putting a toe into that water a lot of the time yeah um, but there is something about marketing particularly marketing that is very customer focused you know because good marketing should be customer focused. You want you want to understand your current customers so you can work out how to acquire more and how to keep the ones that you've already got yeah. uh, spending more. So you know there is something about that being the portal of the organisation that is most likely going to be able to see the service from the customer's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you know there's all these other facets, right? I mean, you go. So many of our insights come from the cold face of customer service. And I mean, like, we go and sit in call centres sometimes, right? which is not the kind of thing you'd think we'd be doing, but that's um, that's sometimes where some of the best insight comes from, um, really, really getting close to that. And I think uh, I think it's a, it's a client C-suite that ignores that kind of feedback at its peril because it's really, um, that's, that's really where it's coming from. So. Yeah, I did a podcast uh, with someone that's a call centre specialist. They said the best thing a CMO can do is get a recording of all of the uh, highlights of uh, the calls from the previous day because that'll tell you exactly what your customers are thinking. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Um, customer segmentation. Now, Adam, a little earlier you said, you know, there was a time where personas were all the rage. And, you know, we've got uh, uh, Professor Byron Sharp saying, you know, don't segment just, you know, from an awareness point of view or mental availability. Yeah target everyone um, but where does customer segmentation sit in CX is it mainly around behavior or is it uh, psychology or, or or is it demographic or all of us well I think the, the attitudinal part of it's obviously super important I mean we're not buying media so so there's a there's a sort of a socio demo um, part of it that's um, uh, that's that's probably slightly less relevant if you think about the um, within, you know, if I talk about owned channels, channels that we fully control as opposed to, to earned channels or bought channels. So if, if you're within an owned channel, then I suppose in some respects, particularly if you're an existing customer, um, part of that demo would be less relevant than the behavioral and the attitudinal stuff. Um, the attitudinal segmentation piece is still critical, really critical, um, overlaid with obviously sort of life stage or anything that's, that's custom, um, specifically uh, depending on a client uh, and their product. It has a role, absolutely. Um, but um, I think to your point about um, hyper-personalization, um, 
you can kind of you can go so far that you almost um you end up segmenting to your own peril at some point um because you're trying to get too clever by half but uh, it, it has a role of course i think yeah. i mean when we talk about service design in particular you know when we think about how we design new products um and and services or new revenue opportunities with our clients then it's very relevant because we're talking about market sizing um but um yeah look it's it's not not gone but um but maybe we don't just have a uh, uh geo and socio and briefs like we used to trinity p3 One of the things I love about human beings is that it's that scene from uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian, you know, you're all different and they all yeah. shout we're all different, you know, that yeah. human beings do fit very neatly into tribes or, or personas or, or, you know, that, that there are commonalities for groups of people. Yeah. That means that you can operate on that level and it allows you to scale if you can identify where the persons, the individual sits within one of those tribes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's, there's for sure, there's a role. Absolutely. I mean, we, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big part of the way that we approach um, product design um, and, and experience design. Um, but we're just, I guess, we're not using it in a media context. So. Yeah. yeah. And look, media is still struggling with how to make their audience available. You know, I yeah. mean. Certainly, digital media uh, you know, and, and the um, the wall gardens, the platforms are, are saying that you can target specifically. But I think any marketer and anyone in media knows that it's still a bit hit and miss. Yeah. Well, do you know the the role that we do play here, and this is super important. Um, Increasingly, I mean, we've been talking about the death of the cookie for a very long time, and Google keeps delaying this, and so one day we'll have the real conversation. Twenty twenty four, I think, at the moment, but. Um, what we need really to combat that for any organization at scale is first party data, right? And if you think about what we do, well, we make we make great websites, we make great apps, we make great ecosystems, all born out of great customer experience insight. Um, we actually are in the very lucky position that we get to control that first party data ecosystem in so much as we um, architect it and implement it. Um, we configure the customer data platforms. That's another three-letter acronym, CDPs, that, uh, <laughs> that all the data's uh, stored in. And, and, and a hot one at the moment. And everyone's, a hot one. Everyone's investing. So I suppose, you know, in, in that respect, I would say um, our, um, our role in the future of retargeting is actually pretty critical um, as the architects of, of our customers' first, you know, first party platforms. Um, yeah. The other good thing is that even with the rise of, you know, this increased focus by government on privacy, there is still, because they are customers, there's still an opportunity for permission, isn't there? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you've just got explicit opt-in or opt-out um, preference in your first-party data. Um, but even beyond, uh, you know, opt-in or opt-out, there's an ability to communicate on a service messaging basis. So, yeah. um, and, you know, I think if you... Um, if you think about the, the history of our business, um, for anyone who doesn't know, CX Lavender is 25 years old last year. It was our 25th birthday and um, we began all the way back in 97 as a DM agency. Um, through those years, grew up into digital and, and evolved into full service. And so our heritage is in direct communications, um, you know, many moons ago. And uh, I think, ironically, for all the tech innovation in the world, the prevalence of first-party data and, and segmentation is going to mean that direct comms, you know, they still have a super important role to play for all of us um, and they will into the future. So, no, it's, um, it, Direct marketing is still alive and well and it's actually the best way of using the technology. I, 
I, I say this all the time, you know, uh, uh, Lester Wonderman, when he wrote about direct marketing, he was dealing with typing pools and typists, typing yeah. personalised letters and and self-addressed envelopes and things like that. You know, yeah. All the technology's done because human beings are largely the same, but that responsiveness now at scale yeah. has been has been allowed for by technology. Yeah, totally. The actual process hasn't really changed. And you know, the great irony is I still open more unsolicited mail from people offering to do my plumbing with magnets for my fridge than just about any other piece of communication because it's the only <laughs> thing in my letterbox. So not that we do a lot of DM these days, but um, hey, sometimes it's the old channels at work, right? When it turns <laughs> up, it's a novelty. Yeah. <laughs> so what did, you know, you, you mentioned that you've had uh, two decades of uh, working in digital agencies and creative agencies. What was it that drew you, first of all, to digital and, and technology and then finally here to CX as CEO of uh, CX Lavender? Yeah, look, I could take you around the houses here because it's, it's a bit of a, a long one, but my background was originally video games um, and video games publishing way back in the wily days of the 90s when I had to convince oh, my mum. Oh, last that I, millennium. Yeah, when I was convincing my mum that I wasn't uh, I wasn't selling drugs. I was, in fact, selling media space when the checks arrived. And uh, I always remember taking a call from Emich asking me for a media plan and Googling what that was and working it out and sending them one and manually uploading HTML files to the website. So going all the way back to the wily days um, where we were sending server logs to track uh, track impressions. Um, but from there, I, I think I've always had a great um, a great love of, uh, of of interactive entertainment and of technology and of the ability to tell great stories um, in in the games industry. You know, the agency that somebody has in that context. Um, makes the way a story lands so much more compelling than if it's a static medium, you know, even all the way back to cave paintings or music or TV, books, stone tablets. It's always been a one-way communication medium. And uh, being able to, to go in both directions with games, that little bit of agency, um, it just allows you to play around with emotion and different opportunity uh, in storytelling in a way um, traditional media doesn't. So I've always loved tech. Um, I've always loved, uh, loved interactive media. And I guess... As I uh, came out of the games publishing business, um, came back to Australia after a stint in London, I just got into the flip side of the business I knew, which was selling the ads and uh, started making them. And then the rest, as they say, in, in agency world uh, has been history. But, you know, I've had a lot of experience in, in creative and, and in straight digital. And, you know, the way all of those agency opportunities are variously challenged, I think CX um, as the front door to all that great work um, just allows us really to elevate the conversation further up the C-suite chain to talk more fundamentally about the health of the business and the opportunity and their customer relationships and the product. And I guess that's why I've, I've ended up here as opposed to straight creative um, over the years. So. Very, very interesting. And I think because of that sort of diversity of experience, you know, from gaming to digital to creative agency, um, you've been fantastic at sort of breaking down the the overall CX and and I think giving people a, a more accessible uh, idea of what what it's all about. It's not just a whole stack of two letter acronyms. No, and, and hopefully everyone can um, can can call BS the next time someone's uh, using CS CX interchangeably too. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, Adam, look, it's been a fantastic conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, 
it'd be interesting actually to uh, catch up again sometime and we could have a great conversation around gaming because I think it's probably one of the least or underutilised marketing opportunities around. I would love to do that. It is a deeply held passion of mine and uh, something I'll go back to one day. So uh, just let me know. I'm there with bells on. Oh, well, uh, Adam Washington, CEO of CX Lavender, thank you for uh, joining us on Managing Marketing. Sure. Thanks so much, Darren. That was great fun. I do have a question before you go, and it's a gaming question. Uh, what's your uh, What's your current favourite game? Mm-hmm.